Thanks, Brian. Well, I would be remiss in not saying uh, to Travis and uh, Brittany's family, thanks so much for being here and supporting them. Just a great group here as well, and helps our attendance as well for the Sunday morning. Uh, but I'm, I'm happy to be back. I had vacation last week. It was a staycation. I didn't go anywhere, really. I golfed, and then I uh, ate good food, and I golfed, and I slept, and I golfed, and I took my dogs for walks, and spent time with, with, time with family and friends, and I golfed some more as well, so... But I, I miss being here. And, you know, it's, it's a good sign for me uh, in vacation that I've been rested when I can't remember what day it is. So, fortunately, I remembered it was today was Sunday. So, <laughs> anyways, um, I want to jump in as we have been in this series called Stuff Really Happens. And if you're anything like me, it seems like so much of life just happens to us. Where... Even tough, hard challenges happen. And it, it seems like we have a little bit of control, but not a lot of control. So, you know, detours happen, divorce happens, layoffs happen, or perhaps some tension at work happens, and it leaves you uh, as an employee asking the question that the, the class thing back in the 1980s, should I stay or should I go? And, you know, th those things kind of happen. And when you go back into the Old Testament, to the, the scriptures of the Israelites, uh, there's a guy named Jeremiah uh, did a really, uh, really hard time for the Israelites. And it wasn't, they didn't have the choice of staying or going. They were going. Uh, they were being brought into exile into Babylon. And Jeremiah is, if you know, don't know anything about him, he's a legendary prophet, very influential, influential prophet, not only in the Old Testament, even to Jewish people this day. And he makes this observation that is just uh, stellar. He says this, as people, as women and children and men are being taken away in exile in Babylon, he says, I know, O Lord, that the way of human beings is not in their control. That mortals, as they walk, cannot direct their steps. I think he's mostly true in saying that, that we do have a little bit of control, but not much. And yet when we read that or we hear that, we don't like statements like that. I don't like statements like that because it, it seems like when things happen, I want to have some kind of control. But as you're in the midst of those things that happen to us, you have to keep moving forward. And that's the challenge, is in the midst of tough, challenging things that happen, whether it's a layoff or perhaps as Laura Gilbertson preached last week, which she did a phenomenal job, by the way. If you missed last Sunday, please listen online. Laura is a colleague of mine over at Bethel University, and she just nailed it. Uh, when conflict happens, uh, you have to still live life. You've got you to keep moving forward. And, and, that, and that's the challenge, is to do that and, and, and navigate the best we can, even though we don't know what's going to happen in the end result. That's kind of what life is. You just take one day at a time, and you're not quite sure what the end result is. And 2017, for me, has been a, a, a trying year in that we've had many people in our church community sick. A lot of health concerns, a lot of health challenges. We had a person who had a stroke. We had a couple of people who diagnosed with cancer. We had another person that was been battling uh, problems with his, uh, his pancreas. We had other people, uh, a family that had a miscarriage. And I can name one after another after another. And I would sit with them, and I felt absolutely helpless. I wanted to fix things. I wanted to fix things for them. I, it broke my heart to see their tears and their helplessness. And I read scripture, of course, I would pray, but there was something in me. I, just, I, I wanted to do something. I wanted to do something. So what do we do in the midst of that when we have very little control and yet we have these circumstances that are pressing in? And that might be you this morning. 
is that you have things in your life right now, you're being pressed in, and you're worried, you're scared. What do you do in the midst of that? What do you do? We have a, a life that has unexpected choices, unexpected results, and life happens, stuff happens. And the question I want to leave with you this morning that I really want you to sit in on this morning is, how does trust happen with God in the midst of that? Because we throw that around, right? When someone's going through a hard time, just trust God. It, it, it's sort of like the, the Christian hallmark uh, saying, just trust God. But what does that really mean? We break that down, we say, trust God, what does that really mean? And I want to I give you three responses to that, three, three truths when it comes to that question of how does trust happen? Number one, if you're teaching notes this morning, I encourage you to follow along. Trust happens when we give God our plans. Trust happens when we give God our plans. That seems really easy, but it's not. It's very hard, actually. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Psalm 25. And we're in a really camp on Psalm 25, and it's written by a guy named David. And a couple years ago, I did a, a seven-week series on the life of David, and he's one of my favorite characters when it comes to the Bible. Uh, it makes a lot of mistakes like we do, um, but at the same time, he has this heart for God. And he kind of shows us what trust looks like because he trusted God. I think that's one of the, one of the reasons the New Testament writers talked about David as a God after a man, a man after God's own heart is because he trusted God. And I think David shows how that happens. Uh, Psalm 25, I'm going to start with verses 1 through 2, and then uh, next I'll, I'll go into uh, verses 4 through 5, my second point. Let me pray for us as we start this morning. God in heaven, we thank you so much as a church community that we can gather together to be here with you. And God, we don't have to ask you to be here. You're already here. Uh, Lord, we just ask that you'd have freedom among us. And whether we're here uh, new this morning, maybe it's been some time since we've been in, in church, maybe church bores us, um, maybe church is, is the high point of our week, wherever we're at, God, in this spiritual continuum, I pray that you would have a word for us this morning, that you would have something that stirs within us, that brings something alive within our hearts, because we're people that want to be alive, we're people that, that want to feel passion. And so often we feel that aliveness and that passion in other areas of life. God, we want to feel, uh, feel, feel that from you. So I pray that you would come and move among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? All right, Psalm 25, verses 1 through 2. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. You can follow along with our slides or the teaching notes. or You have a Bible app as well. David writes this, O Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. This is a poem. So he begins with, O Lord, and then he ends that little bracket with my God. That's sort of a, a poetic device there. So, O Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. Let's begin with that first line. O Lord, I give my life to you. In other words, David begins this psalm um, not with a litany of requests. Now, prayer requests are important. We talk about it every Sunday here. But he doesn't begin with a litany of requests. He simply says, God, I give my life to you. And you need to know some context. David is on the run. He's in a very tough spot. This guy named Saul, this bad guy, is chasing him down, Saul and his army. And David's in a tough spot 
But he takes his eyes off these problems, these challenges, and instead of coming out with this list of requests, he says, God, I give my life to you. In the original uh, translation, it says, I lift my soul to you. Remember you see that in the Bible, I lift my soul to you? It actually means I give the totality of my life to you. I give everything to you. And I love how he begins that. Because David gives to God his plans. Now on the other hand, we have a guy named Saul who's chasing him. But at a different point though, uh, Saul kind of shows us a little bit of a difference, a different way of doing life. And since the Bible is a story, we learn a lot about the characters in the Bible, or any kind of story, by if you have a good character like David, when they're compared and contrasted with a bad character. It, It brings some color and texture just to the character and goodness of a guy like David. Comparison and contrast. We have it all the time. Our children's books, Three Little Pigs and Big Bad Wolf. Yeah, don't say Jesus, okay? Uh, Big Bad Wolf, yeah, yeah. And and, and then Game of Thrones, the most popular TV show in the world. I don't know if you know this. It's on the cover of Time magazine. That show is watched in 170 countries. It renews uh, the last season uh, next Sunday. Winter is coming, Game of Thrones fans. So on one side we have Jon Snow. On the other side we have Jamie Lannister. Or if you're a Harry, Harry Potter uh, movie uh, buff, or you've read the books, on, on one side you have Bellatrix Lestrange, right? Lestrange, rather. And then Hermione, 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 thank you. Yeah. I'm so fluent on Harry Potter. Yeah, Brian had to correct me this morning I was going through it. Hermione? Yes, I know. I know. Okay. Granger. Okay, she's played by Emma Watson. That's all you need to know, okay? Anyways, those two characters, you have, a, you have the villain and then you have the heroine. And oftentimes in stories, you, ha- you need those polar opposites to really show how good the one character is and also how bad the other one is. And Saul really shows how good uh, David is in terms of his life, how David's worldview is, how Psalm 25, is, I think, really brings life to that. So if we look at 1 Samuel 28, you don't have to turn to that. I'm just going to refer really quickly here to the story here. And, and, and Saul, just like David, he's in a tough spot, and he's faced with this vast Philistine army, even though this is after David had conquered Goliath, 1 Samuel 17. He, he conquered Goliath, but yet Saul is still afraid. 1 Samuel 28, verse 5, it says this, When Saul saw the vast Philistine army, he became confident. No, frantic with fear. He was shaking. Okay? And then he prays to God. He prays to God with these these requests, but God is not listening to him because God had kind of given up on Saul because Saul was a bad king. So what does Saul do? He goes to a medium, sort of this person who could tap into the supernatural world. It's a really weird part of the Bible. If you're new to the scriptures, this is absolutely bizarre. Very interesting. And speaking of Harry Potter, I think the medium kind of fits within this, uh, this narrative. But anyways, he goes to this medium, and he goes to the medium, he says, I need you to call up Samuel, because Samuel was a respected elder, wise person, and a, a kind of a mentor to Saul. And he says to the medium, uh, call up Samuel from the dead. So we pick it up here in, uh, this is verse 15. I love this. Uh, and this is what Samuel said. He speaks to Saul when he's kind of brought from the dead. Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? So, by the way, if you're dead and someone calls you back to earth, that's how you need to respond. Why are you disturbing me? Why are you bringing me back to earth? I think it's, 
and then it moves on. Why have you disturbed me by calling me back? And then Samuel, uh, or Saul, replies by, because I'm in deep trouble. The Philistines are at war with me, and God has left me and won't reply by prophets or dreams, so I have called for you to tell me what to do. And then you skip, we skip down to verse 18 in chapter 28, and it says this. Samuel says this, The Lord has done this very thing to you today because you didn't listen to the Lord's voice. Okay? Here's the deal, is that the difference between David and Saul, David comes to God. He goes to God and gives his plans, whereas Saul wants God to satisfy his plans. It's a big difference. It's two different ways of living. It's where Saul goes to God and he wants God to fulfill exactly his specific agenda, what he wants exactly. And I think some of us right now need, need, to, need to shift our prayers, where we actually begin our prayers with David, a David way of praying. Um, because I think some of us, we get so busy, we just cut to the chase, and we begin to pray, here's my request, and then we kind of move past that, and that's it. That's like our only communication with God. Saul expects God to gratify his intentions. In a great book, Dallas Willard, I encourage you to read it if you get a chance, it's called Hearing God. Willard writes this, I fear that many people seek to hear God solely as a device for obtaining their own safety, their own comfort, and sense of being righteous. My extreme preoccupation with knowing God's will for, my, for me may not only indicate, contrary to what is often thought, that I'm over-concerned with myself, that I don't have this Christ-like interest in the well-being of others or in the glory of God. So here's a thought. I want to encourage you this week is simply to pray and say, Oh Lord, I give you my life. I give you my life. I trust you, my God. Because that's how trust happens. Is it, it, it begins with the giving of your life. You're surrendering your life. And then, as we see in verse 2, trust happens. And then David's able to say that. I trust you. I trust in you, my God. And he personalizes it, too. And that's how trust happens. It begins that way. So maybe this week is simply, whatever you're facing, is to take your eyes off it and simply say this, this prayer right here. Oh, Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. And that's it. And let it go. That's your brief prayer. You could do it probably in 20 seconds. And then just, just kind of do that each day and then see what God does. See how God moves in your life. So number one, trust happens when we give our intentions to God. Next, trust happens when we live out his will for our lives. As we see, as, as David takes this, this great, courageous act of trust in God, it moves down to verse 4 because his motives, his, his intentions are kind of left with God. And I think that's, it's sort of almost sequential. Then we get into verse 4 and 5, he gets a little bit more specific. Show me the right path, O Lord. So there's a request. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long, I put my hope in you. You can kind of see the development of his prayer right here after he begins with verses 1 and 2. And when he says your ways, your truth, when he says that, what he's saying is that, God, I'm going to live out your will. And I want to kind of speak into that because I think within certain Christian communities, when it comes to God's will, that many of us have been sort of misdirected on that. That, that many of us have been told that God's will is this sort of 
needle in the haystack that you have to find. And when you find it, you'll find the right college. You'll find the right spouse. You'll find the right job. Now, now sometimes that may be true. God may reveal that to you. Um, there are certainly times where God is sort of like Moses in the burning bush where he speaks directly to us. But I find most of life that as we surrender our life to him and we follow him, he gives us a lot of freedom to make decisions. In doing so, you're living out God's will. I have a family member that um, talks about God's will almost like every other sentence, and I try to change, you know, give my perspective on it. It never works. And I say I'm a pastor. That really doesn't work either, so it makes it worse. Uh, but anyways, uh, you know, she was convinced that, that God, it was God's will for her to buy the certain dog. I love dogs. And maybe it was. But when we do that, what happens as we search for the needle in the haystack, we become overwrought with anxiety and fear that I have to find God's will for my son's college. If I don't, something's going to happen. We get scared. We get full of anxiety. And what happens as well, we, we experience paralysis. It actually stops us in our tracks as we think about that. And then we begin talking to people as if we got to find that one thing. And I would encourage you, I would encourage you to open up your life and really be, be um, free to what God wants to do as you surrender your life, as you give it to God, and as you trust him, and as you walk down those paths, uh, see the alternatives that God gives you at times. You know, I, I think some of us think like there's like one or two choices. I think there's a hundred choices oftentimes. And as, as, as long as your motives and your character and your heart's pure, you kind of check that at the door, then I think there's a lot of freedom in living the kind of uh, life that we see here with David is living the will of God. It's a great book by a guy named uh, Jerry Sitzer. And it's called The Will of God as a Way of Life. And you need to know this about Jerry, is that when he wrote this book, this is after a very uh, traumatic and tragic accident occurred in his life, uh, that he was hit head-on by a drunk driver, and he lost, he lost his wife, he lost his daughter, and he lost his mom. Very tragic. And then some years later, he wrote and talked about um, what it is to really live out the will of God. I love this. This is what he says. Well, it'll be on the screen here. The only, the only moment we have to both know and do God's will is in the present moment. I love that. That's all we got. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. You don't have to worry about next week. It's in the moment that we have right now. It's to live out God's will right here, right now. In the zip code of the world that you live in. It's to live out God's will right here. And I think as we do that, it alleviates that anxiety and that concern and that paralysis. Next, trust, ha trust happens not only when we give our plans and intentions to God, but also, and, and also how we live out God's will as we do that. But trust happens, too, when we read and obey God's words. It's very important for us. Because as we come across, it's a great portion of Scripture. It's in the, in the New Testament. A guy named James, the half-brother of Jesus, and much like David, he, he's got some tough challenges. Um, he became the, the central leader of the church in the book of Acts, and he's like the guy that has to decide on whether Gentiles are really Christians. Can you imagine that sort of decision? People come to you and say, okay, it's up to you to decide if that group is a Christian. That's a lot of pressure. 
Not only that, but he's trying to figure out how this church in Jerusalem was really going to function. And, and I love that when you come to the book of James, it reads like Proverbs, because James, as he writes, is very straightforward. He says this in James chapter 1, verse 22. He says, it is so important for us to read and follow God's words. He says this, but don't, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Let me repeat that. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. So it's important for us to read and listen to God's words. And people will ask me, I can't hear God. God's, God's voice is right here. It's not the only place, but it, it, it's right here. Do you really believe that? Or do you believe that this is simply a collection of stories written by uh, ambiguous people a long time ago that have, has no practicality in the 21st century? I hope you don't. Because as a church, one of our fundamental beliefs, the foundation of this church, is that we actually believe this is God's word. These are his words recorded for us. And if you get close enough, you can hear them. I'm speaking figuratively, obviously. It's not an mp3 or audible.com or something, you know. But, but if you read it and absorb it, you can hear God's voice. Have you been doing that? And as you hear God's voice, then as James encourages us, is to do something, to act on it. How is God speaking into your life right now? It might be Psalm 25, where, where you're hearing God sort of pushing you and prompting you in that direction to really give up control of your life. And instead of coming to him like he's a vending machine, God, I want this, I want this, and if, I, if I'm a good enough person, I'll deposit those coins, and then you can do this for me. But actually beginning to simply saying, God, I give my life to you. I trust in you, my Lord, my God. And I think oftentimes God speaks to us, and we just are not hearing it because we're not spending time in God's word. It reminds me, actually, of a time several years ago where I went on a a hiking and camping trip up in the Collegiate Peaks in Colorado, Buena Vista, Colorado, outside of Denver. It was about a five-day uh, hiking trip, and that's the Collegiate Peaks right now. They're, they're called the Collegiate Peaks because it's Mount Harvard, Mount, Mount Yale, Mount, Prince, Mount Princeton, um, and one other one I can't remember right now. But we're on this, this hiking and camping trip, and it was an incredible opportunity just to get away from the, the rest of the world, unplug. Uh, they don't have cell coverage up there. Uh, so leave the phones behind and actually just camp and hike. And um, the, the highlight for us in that group was actually, we were, on, I think, on Mount Harvard, and we uh, summited uh, that, that mountain at 12,000 feet. And I, I still remember being up there. An incredible scene. It's taken in God's glory. And when you're that high up, the clouds are very close to you. I mean, it's just a, uh, an amazing vista, the scenery up there. Um, but our base camp was a little lower than that, obviously. We, we, our base camp was eight to 9,000 feet, and we spent most of our time there. We would go hiking and, and spend time camping there. And it's interesting, when you're that high, uh, the days, uh, the weather can change very fast. For example, you can have 90 degrees, and it's a hot 90 degrees, so you're closer to the sun, and all of a sudden it can switch. Where we, I remember one day, we had 90 degrees, and at night it was like in the high 20s. So it's like three seasons in one. But as we were hiking down this one trail, uh, and we're being led by a tour guide, because there's no way Craig Case would go on a, a trip like this by himself. 
got to have a tour guide, and we had a good group of people, and we were hiking, and uh, we were in some rocky terrain, and as we were walking, the, the, the clouds got really dark. And not only dark, but some really weird colors. Not good colors, by the way. Green. It was kind of like the storm we had last month here that Sunday morning. It, you know, you see something like that coming, it's like, oh my goodness. And we were exposed, very much like in this picture right here. We were exposed, we didn't have shelter nearby, and that storm moved in very fast. And it began to rain, and we were in some rocky terrain. You want to write this down, okay? When rain uh, comes down on rocks, it makes rocks slippery. Okay? It's absolutely brilliant, I know. Write it down. You can quote me, okay? That joke really didn't work. Okay, uh, we'll keep moving. Anyways, so a- as we were moving on these rocks, it's wet, and, and we're not quite sure where to go. Our tour guide just said, hey, we're going to go in this, right direc- this direction over here. I'm going to lead you over there. You just got to trust me. And we can't see where it is. And none of us are real expert hikers or campers. We're just on this trip. We got better during the trip, but, you know, we really didn't know where we are going. And all he said as he walked behind us and on the side, because I kept looking up at the sky, and I, honestly, I was scared. I was scared. Um, he just kept saying, keep walking, keep walking, keep walking. He said it over and over. I still remember that. I could hear his voice in my head to this day. Craig, keep walking, keep walking, even though I have no idea where it's headed, where we're headed. And finally, we found um, safety, found a shelter area, and we were okay. And then the winds picked up, and it was uh, quite, the, quite the night as we stayed there. And I think in a lot of ways, when it comes to trusting in God, how trust happens, we want God, we want God to be, I think, Google Maps, where he kind of lays everything out, or perhaps like Siri, take a left here, and then a mile and a half down, take a right. But if you have a Siri on my phone, she's always wrong with directions. So we'll stick with Google Maps as a metaphor here. But uh, it's, it's where we want God to tell us exactly where we're headed. What is the final destination? How long is it going to take us to get there? We have a hard time when we don't know where we're headed. And God says, keep going. Keep walking. All you have is today. All you have is the present moment. Keep walking, Craig. Keep walking, Craig. Keep loving, keep loving that grumpy waitress. Keep loving that uh, bad neighbor. Uh, keep serving that coworker. Keep walking, keep doing that. That's what God says to us. And as we live this life of trusting God, and I love how David sort of encapsulates this in Psalm 31. Um, sort of echoes a little bit of my story I just shared. Psalm 31, verses 1 through 3. This is the message translation. I love this. He says this, God, you're my cave to hide in. You're my cliff to climb. Be my safe leader. Be my true mountain guide. Free me from hidden traps. I want to hide in you. I want to put my life in your hands. You won't drop me. You'll never let me down. You won't drop me. You'll never let me down. You won't drop me. You'll never let me down. You might need to repeat that this week to yourself over and over. You won't drop me. You will never let me down. It's a great promise of God. So wherever you're at right now, just keep walking. And and maybe the final destination is a little bit unnerving because you you really want to know. And your, your patience is very thin. And God just says, keep walking. I won't drop you. 
I won't let you down. I'm walking alongside you. I'm, I, I'm your guide on the mountain. Trust in me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we take a moment this morning to thank you that you're a God who won't drop us. You're a God who will never leave us. Unlike any relationship that we have in this world, is that you're faithful to the end. And God, honestly, as a church and individually, it's hard for us to trust you at times. It's hard to trust that promise. Because sometimes it seems like we're in the midst of a storm and, and, and there is no guide. And God, I pray if there's anybody here this morning who's living in that, I pray that somehow through this community called Maple Grove Covenant Church or maybe a conversation with a person in the hallway or maybe a song or maybe it's something that happened during this hour that we had together would remind them that you're a faithful God and they're not alone. God, I pray for the rest of us that you would continue to guide us. God, I pray that we would not chalk up your will as some sort of big and mysterious thing that we can't understand. For us to simply live life, you give us a lot of freedom. And as we do, we can live out your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hermione Granger, Craig, Bellatrix Lestrange, keep reading, that's what God would say, <laughs> um, sorry, I have to get, I have, I have to, I have to, it's Harry Potter, it's my second religion, okay, <laughs> just kidding, um, at this time we're going to receive our offering, uh, it's uh, a way for us to support this community, and uh, I,